Amen? That was good. Ben, thank you very much. Man, I could have gone to heaven on that great I am. <laughs> I mean, literally gone to heaven. There's a lot of information in your bulletin. Read it carefully. A couple of things I want to point out. This was an unbelievable experience this morning, just being here in the family of God and listening to the music. You do not want to miss Christmas Eve. It's one of the highlights of the year. Lots of people come. We have three services. We tighten them up a little bit because a lot of our volunteers stay here for a long period of time throughout that day. So look at it carefully. We're not doing tickets this year because it doesn't seem to work. We're just telling you the first two are going to be the fullest. So uh, try to come out, help just experience an incredible time and a wonderful experience together. We need a lot of help for that. So if you can help us do that, we would appreciate that very much. And then there was another one in there. It looks like this. And we really want to finish the year strong. So if you could read that and help us out, we would appreciate that very, very, very much. Now, obviously, you notice these placards up here this morning. They look like name tags, right? Hello, my name is. If you go to a large church every once in a while, they put one of those on so that you can get to know somebody else's name. Believe it or not, I used to be able to know everyone by their first name up to somewhere between eight and 900. In my last church, I knew everyone by their phone number. I was 814-274, so all you had to do was finish the rest. A buddy of mine, after 20 years, passed away last year, Phil, and I remembered his number, called it up, and his wife answered, and I said, I can't believe that after 20 years I still know these numbers. Now when I look around at an audience like ours, we're well over 900, and somewhere along the way, my little Pentium brain didn't keep up when we went to Windows 7, 9, 12, 83, whatever we're at right now. Give it a day or two, it'll change to something else. But every once in a while, we'll do a name tag Sunday so that we can get to know somebody else's name, because in a large church, it's a little bit difficult. When I do membership class, I talk about the disadvantages and advantages of a large church, and sometimes the disadvantages and advantages of being in a small church. In a large church, you kind of just come in, and you're not sure if anybody even notices you're there. You blend in. Now, a lot of people like that. They like to be able to walk in in anonymity and just kind of sit down, and hopefully no one notices. Maybe the lights will go down. I, I'm just trying to check this out. I don't know what your church is like. I don't know what a large church is like. So I just want to kind of come in and, and blend in. Now, there's others who really want to be noticed, and they'll come and find that nobody identified them. Nobody shook their hand. Didn't know anybody here. They just want somebody to know where they're at. Now, in a small church, everybody knows you're there, right? Especially when you go to a really small church. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but when you go to a small church, especially when it's only 20 or 30 people, and you show up as a family, they come up to you and say, hey, how are you? So glad to have you. How many kids do you have? Three? That is awesome. We have three in our youth group. That'll make six. This will be incredible. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Do you teach Sunday school class? If you've never taught Sunday school class, that's okay, but we really need somebody to teach our Sunday school class. Does your husband, does he come here? Would he teach for us as well? By the way, do you play piano at all? We, we, <laughs> is that right or not? Yeah. Okay, you've been to one of those churches, right? And sometimes you feel like, okay, I like being in a place where everyone knows who I am. Everyone knows everything about me. There's the flip side of that, right? Everyone knows who I am. And knows everything about me. And that's why sometimes it's easier to come to a context like this when not everybody knows all of your story. And so it's kind of easier to fit in and check us out and then walk out and leave. And so every once in a while, just to try to bridge the gap or help a little bit, we put name tags on everyone so you can at least know, hello, my name is Denny. And you can call them by their first name. But what if we did something a little bit different? We're not going to do it today, but what if we did something a little bit different? 
We gave you a name tag. You have one in your bulletin. Don't take it out yet. But we gave you a name tag, and you put your name on it. Hello, my name is Denny, and I lie. I used to be an alcoholic. My name is Denny, and I use drugs. My name is Denny, and I have a past. And we put that past on there, whatever it may be. I was abused. I was addicted to porn. I used to steal. Can you imagine if you showed up in church on a Sunday and it was a visiting moment for you and everybody else around had a name tag on, and not just with their name, but something they used to do in the past, and you thought, oh my goodness. Either this church is really open and honest or it's scary, and I'm not sure if I want to stay. What if you were really up front and said, Hello, my name is Denny, and I wrestle with road rage <laughs> a lot. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. It's a true story. Most of my stories by now are true after all these years of ministry. I'm a true story, but you can't pass it along to anybody else, all right? Thursday, I had lunch with a fellow. I went after lunch over to the Moraine Plaza where Sam's is and all that stuff, over to that particular giant eagle. I'm coming out, picked up a couple of things for the office. I came out as I'm coming across. This guy's coming out from where... Red Lobster and Taco Bell is and all of that. And we come to the intersection. Now, you know what it's a debate when both of you show up at the same time. Who gets to go first, right? I knew I was ducking through the Sands parking lot to go around because when I come back to the office, I come up Lyons Road that goes across behind the PNC Bank and all of that. So I figured I have enough time. He's got enough space to get out there. I'm just going to duck in front of him and get down that way and take off. As I did, I looked in my rearview mirror, and this guy's following me. Not just following me, he comes right beside me. I'm thinking, this parking lot's not long enough to have a race. He's not racing. He is mad. And I mean, he is really, really mad. He comes down. I stopped. Instead of going over to PNC, I stopped figuring, okay, man, I'm sorry, my fault. I'm bad, my bad. I'm saying all this like he hears me through the window. Did you ever notice that nobody understands anything you're saying when you're saying it through glass? right? Not that you ever yell at people, but it fascinates me how we talk to a lot of people out there who are driving. I have a lot of cop friends, and I ask them every once in a while, seriously, you gave them a driver's license? I say, no, that wasn't me at PennDOT and all that. But I, I love traveling with missionaries because they'll do the same thing, but they'll do it in two or three different languages. So they're yelling at all these people. If you've ever driven in a foreign country, man, it's an experience in and of itself. So I'm standing there, I'm going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my bad, go ahead, go ahead. He gets out of the truck. I mean, he is mad. The door opens up, he's over coming to my truck. Now, I've got a second and a half to determine what I'm going to do. So I'm telling you this much, I did what every red-blooded Second Amendment country boy would do. I hit the gas on my Hemi and I took off. Not ashamed to admit it in front of all of you. It's exactly what I did. And by the way, no, I didn't get a buck. So that saves me a whole bunch of stories after the service is over as well. I'm sitting there driving up praying, oh, God, please let no one be up at that intersection by Staples and PNC Bank because i got to get out here as fast as possible. Driving away thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, he didn't know that I had a gun or I didn't have a gun. He did, I didn't know whether he had one. I thought, you get that uptight over a spot on the road. I had a friend I talked to on Wednesday, Friday night who had 
a similar experience where somebody wanted to take him on, literally take him on, and take him out over a parking spot downtown. Hey, I'm Denny. I really wrestle with road rage. I'm Denny, and I have a horrible self-esteem problem. And I put it down. I'm Denny, and I lie. Or I cheat. I gossip. I've been unfaithful. I'm greedy. Or you put down how low my name is, and I really, really, really struggle with jealousy. And I have an unbelievable hard time with my temper. What if you walked in on a Sunday morning and people put name tags on and then had something underneath it that told you what their issue was? You would either run like crazy or feel like, okay, at least everybody's honest. If you were to actually do that, what would you put on it? If you were to actually take that one there, what would you put on it? What did you used to do that maybe now God has freed you of? And what did you used to do that just haunts you to this day? What are you wrestling with now? And even a bigger question is, what would you put on it that you would hope no one would ever see? What would you write? I can't even imagine that most of us would do that. Back in the Old Testament, they had to bring sacrifices for their sin, and it was fascinating that they would come every once in a while with a dove or a pigeon or a, 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 a sheep, that perfect lamb to sacrifice for their sins, and they would bring them in. And I've often wondered what it was like after week after week seeing the same guy standing in line with his dove or his sheep, and then all of a sudden one week he shows up with a flock of dove and a herd of sheep, and you realize this was really a bad week. Here we kind of hide it all, and no one sees now, some of you would probably put down, oh, my name is John, and I'm perfect. <laughs> no, really, seriously, I am. Look at my kids. Look at my house. I'll be really honest with you. Before I started to put down what I struggled with or what I knew I had, I started to look around the room, and I saw what some of these other put, people put down, and next to the rest of them, I'm good. I'm pretty good. Now, if that's you, you're honestly not going to enjoy today's sermon. But if you were one of the ones who said, you know what, I do wrestle with something in the past. I'm wrestling with something now. And I really do get tired of carrying it around. And I think maybe you'll like what we're sharing this morning. You see, most of us have a story to share. We usually don't let everyone see it, but most of us have a story to share. And in the story of Jesus coming to this world, all the cards are on the table. Incredible story. Every one of the gospel writers writes a little bit different ideas and concepts and situations and circumstances around the Messiah and his coming to earth and his story here on this earth. Every one of them looks at it from a different vantage point. Everyone has a different audience that they're writing to and they're adding layer upon layer to an incredible story, which is why I say every Easter and every Christmas for all of these years, I go back and read all the gospel accounts of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And now in these next two weeks, I'll read every single gospel account of the coming of Christ and even John, the beginning and how John the Baptist begins because there's each one of them building layer upon layer with a different story. We're all familiar with Luke's. Luke starts the story writing about what he has seen and experienced and what he researched. 
We are familiar with this story because almost every Christmas Eve, even this one as well, we'll read the story out of the book of Luke. He starts in a little bit of a unique way. Luke chapter 1. You don't have to turn there this morning. I'm going to read it. We're going to stay in Matthew. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that were fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down by those who were first eyewitness and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. That's pretty wordy. You know what he's trying to say? Hey, my friend, I know you heard a lot of things about Jesus, and maybe you wondered if some of it was true. So I did a lot of investigating. I did my homework. I even talked to people who saw it firsthand, and this story is true. It really is true. This is not a once upon a time in a faraway place fairy tale. This really happened. And then he writes the story about the birth of Christ and gives detail upon detail as any investigator would do. He goes and shares with us the story of salvation in Christ. Matthew, however, starts in a remarkably different way. He begins to tell us things that most of us either didn't know or would have bypassed. If you're going to sit down on Christmas Eve and read the story of Jesus, you're probably going to go directly to Joseph and Mary and how the story unfolds, even if you read the book of Matthew. You'll see the first chapter and you'll look at all those names and you kind of every once in a while just want to pass over it because maybe to you it doesn't mean anything, but to Matthew and the audience and to God himself and to every one of us here this morning, this means a lot. Matthew starts in the genealogy of Jesus. He starts writing about the family tree. He doesn't leave anything out. If some of us were talking about our family's history and and some of the people in it, maybe there's every once in a while one or two people that we probably wouldn't mention or at least would want to leave out. Or at least make it sound better. The children of a prominent family, I shared this story years and years ago, decided to give their dad a, a present on his birthday, a history of the family. They commissioned a professional biographer and they said, you need to know about Uncle George. Uncle George, kind of the black sheep of the family, he was executed in the electric chair for murder. This is what the biographer wrote. Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. <laughs> it's all how you tell the story. Matthew tells it in a phenomenal way. You're in Matthew chapter 1 now, and I want you to be there for the next few moments with me. We're going to obviously start in verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. He's going to build a case for this Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Right away, you see very clear that he's starting to this Jewish audience with a big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you're a Jew, you know you've spent your whole life saying to everybody, we are children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We want you to know right up front, this is who we are. This is where we get our identity. We are children in the line of the king. And it'll go all the way to David. What Matthew is trying to do is to help them clearly understand that this Messiah he's trying to present a story about is really the Messiah. And by taking these three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he starts out really, really well. But you often wonder if some of them knew the rest of the story. You see, Abraham lied. Abraham lied 
about his wife, Sarah, being his sister to get out of trouble in the context of a foreign king. Now, what's fascinating about that is his son, Isaac, did the exact same thing, told the exact same lie years later down the road. So when the gospel writers write, they're not just simply telling a story. They're telling about people that many in that context would have known about. And oh, by the way, it gets worse. Abraham had an illegitimate child to his wife's servant girl. And because of that one decision created the tension that you and I have been seeing and dealing with between the Israelites and the Arabs that has gone on now for centuries and centuries. Incredible man of God, a man of faith called the friend of God who made a horrible decision that still to this day impacts the world that we live in. One bad decision with horrible consequences. Ever make one? Really bad decision. We make decisions every day, but did you ever make a decision that you, wow, that changed everything? Then this story is for you, because there's hope. He would say, hello, my name is Abraham, and I made a horrible decision that had consequences that lasted down through time. I'm overwhelmed that God in his amazing grace could still use me after all of that. The next one is Jacob, a patriarch of Israel. Certainly his name later became Israel. He's known as the deceiver. He cheated his brother out of his inheritance. He was shown favoritism by his mom, lied to his father, showed favoritism to his own son, Joseph. You talk about a dysfunctional family. Cheated his brother out of his inheritance, showed favoritism to his own children, lied to his dad about it all, lived in that environment, saw what it did, knew what it did to him, repeated the same thing. Hello, my name is Jacob, and I come from a dysfunctional family. Do you know any? Don't raise your hands, especially if you're sitting near them. Well, you think that's dysfunctional? Wait to hear the next story. Judah, verse 3, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. My name is Judah, and I sold my brother into slavery. You see, all the sons of Jacob threw Joseph into the pit, the most well-known of the whole lineage of Jacob. And it's a story that you'll find in the book of Genesis that does a remarkable story of giving you all the details. And I don't have the time to do it this morning. But when you see that name and you know anything about their history, you knew Jacob, Judah, was one of the ones that threw Joseph in the pit. They lied to their dad about it. They pulled him out of the pit and sold him to a group of traders headed to Egypt. My name is Judah, and I so despised how my dad treated Joseph that I was willing to let him die. I mean, he's in the lineage of Jesus. Story continues in unbelievable way. Judah went on to have three sons, one of whom married a girl named Tamar, who's in the story. There's two Tamars in the Old, in the Old Testament, incredible stories between the two, who married a girl named Tamar whose husband died. She gets forgotten and ends up in an unbelievable way having an illicit relationship with Judah. And now Tamar and Judah have a son here in this context here in Matthew named Perez. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You think your family's crazy. These stories are unbelievable. 
Tamar herself is a widow who gets shoved around and ignored by her family and society herself itself. She has to take matters into her own hands. You ever have someone break a promise to you? I mean, I'll just break a promise to you. I promise you we're going to go out after supper tonight and get something special at the store. I mean, really, a huge promise. And then never keep it. I got to believe there's a lot that have stood before me and pastors like me who promised they would stay together forever and didn't. You ever have someone break their promise to you? Or even act like it didn't exist. Or maybe you're one of those who have had the men in your life let you down. And you had to do something drastic just to survive. I got to believe that every once in a while in an audience like ours, there are ladies who are sitting here who had the men in her life let them down in a horrible way. And they sit here this morning remembering the story and they go back and all of a sudden something I said or something that, that they've heard in their mind or a lie from the enemy had brought back in a moment of time just now today what I had said with them and said, I'm so tired of being remembered about that or reminded about that or I'm so tired of carrying it around with me. And you can relate to these stories. In verse 5, you see Salmon, or Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother is Rahab. And you find yourself, if you know anything about Old Testament history, going, Rahab, are you kidding me? Now, I want to be sensitive to the audience that we have here this morning, but she's a woman of the night. I mean, it's exactly who she is, and she's in the line of Jesus. She's in this context that most of us would never even mention. You find her story in the first few chapters of the book of Joshua. She's living in the city of Jericho, one of those cities that God's going to have the people of Israel take over. She lies to save the life of a couple Jewish spies who were sent to check out the city. Then she's rescued before the whole city has collapsed. She ends up living in a Jewish community, certainly as an outsider, something that, that many in that context would have a hard time figuring out how to go on with life. Maybe certainly living as an outcast. And then all of a sudden she meets a, a man named Salmon who, who marries her. And they have a boy named Boaz who marries another outsider named Ruth. And they become the great-grandparents of King David. If you've ever looked back on your life and it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. And you knew there was decisions about your life and your past you hope no one in the audience ever knows. And you look at a girl named Rahab and find her in this lineage of Jesus. And you know her story well enough to know what it's like to be totally abused and totally forgotten. Then you probably can relate. And then you find this story in here. And again, we'll have time to go into it this morning. But this boy named Boaz who ends up marrying a, another widow lady named Ruth. Who becomes the great grandparents of David. Ruth's story is in an unbelievable story of amazing grace i gotta believe that every once in a while an audience like ours there's somebody sitting here who had the love of their life leave this world either through death or abandonment or divorce and they find themselves wondering will i ever have love again will i ever even find love again will i always be marked by the fact that i'm a widow or a widower or a divorcee, or will I always be marked by that? Does, does God have the next chapter in my life? I, I can't even imagine that he does. And then all of a sudden you read a story like this, and if you would go back and read the book of Ruth and begin to put all the pieces together in a layer upon layer, you find yourself saying, God, I never thought in a million years I'd find second love. 
But I sit here this morning knowing that in your amazing grace, you brought him or her along. And I sit here this morning overwhelmed. Because for years, I was identified as that other person and never felt like I fit anywhere. And then I read this story and I see her story and I either take from that that God has something next for me or I sit here this morning knowing I've already seen the next and I'm blown away by his amazing love and grace. In verse 6, you see, David says, was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's unbelievable that Matthew would choose to write it that way. David? King David, the great David of the book of Psalms, the book of the Old Testament. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Matthew puts it right there in print. Not David the shepherd boy, not David who killed Goliath, not David the great king, not David the guy who wrote most of the psalm, but David who had an affair, who tried to cover it up, having the husband of the woman he had the affair with killed. doesn't get any worse than that. None of it was written to condone the behavior, but to remind us that we all have baggage of some sort or the other. Maybe something like David's story that everyone knows, maybe something that no one knows. But a past nonetheless. And Solomon, verse 7, known for his wisdom and incredible insight, sadly failed to take some of his own advice. And near the end of his life said, I went after all the wrong Nobody, you know anybody that has a lot of advice for everybody else never seems to take their own? They've got answers for every situation and every circumstance, never seem to address the issues in their own life. Solomon said, you know what, I had it all. I had it all right in front of me. There wasn't one thing I saw I couldn't get. There wasn't one thing I went after that I couldn't have. And here I am now after doing all of those things at the end of my life saying I went after the wrong thing. And i got to believe there's a couple of us in this audience this morning who said, you know what, that was me. I live most of my life by saying, if I just had this, if I could just get that, if I just had her as my wife, if I just had him as my husband, if I could just get that house, boy, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just drive that car, if I could just, and the list is endless. And if you're really, really honest this morning, you find yourself saying, I did get it, and it didn't do what I thought it would. I went after it, and it didn't do what I hoped it would. Probably wouldn't admit it like Solomon did, but yeah, I, I went after the wrong thing. I climbed a ladder of success only to find it was leaning against the wrong wall. The names and the stories continue from one generation to the next down to verse 16. And it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary... And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Incredible family tree, unbelievable story. Do you ever wonder why Matthew, of all the gospel writers, started his story that way? Now, the classic answer would be the Spirit of God writes the Word of God, and absolutely true, and that's what he told him to write, and I understand that, and that's true. But I find it fascinating that of all the gospel writers, Matthew starts his story that way with a list of names that most of us would either skip over but recognize that there is a host of baggage just in this one chapter of all the people who are in the line of the king. Do you ever wonder why? 
I think for a lot of reasons, but I want to speculate on one of them. Do you know how Matthew was known in the New Testament? He was known as what? Matthew, the tax collector. He had his own tag. Hey, my name is Matthew, and I'm a tax collector. And it wasn't a good thing to be known by. But every time we think of Matthew, we know him as Matthew, the tax collector. Wasn't a popular title to be known by. They were a little deceitful, greedy, probably very hard-nosed. And yet Jesus walked by him one day and said, follow me. And Matthew did, and it changed his life forever. And what fascinates me about the story is that Jesus didn't say, Matt, I want you to clean up your act, your act, give any money back that you skimmed off the top. When you get your life all together, when you get your act back together again, come find me and then you can follow me. But right in the middle of Matthew's imperfect life, Jesus walks and said, follow me. Because by doing that, your life will be forever changed. And so now when God calls on Matthew to write a story about the Messiah, he starts here with an unbelievable list of characters with all their baggage, all their sin, and all their flaws who are in the line of the Messiah, who will forever say you don't have to be defined by any of your past to be used by God in remarkable ways. And I've often wondered what it was like for him to hear the voice of God, to hear the Spirit of God telling him what to write, and he began to write that, and you wonder every once in a while if he just paused for a moment He's writing down this story and he talks about Abraham and then all of a sudden he sees Rahab in there and Tamar in there and, and maybe he didn't, maybe he knew all those stories, but I've often wondered what it was like for him to sit there and hear the voice of God telling him what to write and knowing and understanding his own story. And saying, God, of all the people that you chose to write this story, I'm overwhelmed that you chose to use me. At the very outset of the Christmas story, God says, I want you to know right up front, there is no one I can't use. There's no secret I don't know. There's nothing I cannot forgive. You think your family and your life is a mess? Look at mine, Jesus would say. The sinner, our past have consequences? Absolutely. Of course it does. The sin and our past have consequences? Absolutely. But it's not always about our past. It's how to find peace and grace and forgiveness from God and move forward and not keep going back. Another thing you need to know about this list of characters is that not all of them are well known. You come to a church like this, especially one as large as ours, and you think no one notices. No one greeted you except the fact that somebody made you stand and greet the people around you. But if they didn't do that or force you to do that, no one would have greeted you and no one would have ever noticed. What I love about this story is that right here at the beginning of the outset of one of the most amazing stories on this planet, Matthew shouts as loud as he can, God notices, God sees you, God loves you, God can use you. Regardless of your past, regardless of your problems. He said that this king, this Messiah, is available to everyone and comes for everyone, regardless of their baggage, regardless of their background. Read the Gospels. Look at the people who flocked to Jesus. People with bad backgrounds, whose lives were filled with broken pieces, who couldn't fix their own lives, who didn't even know where to start, who desperately needed a second chance. Most kings wouldn't give ordinary people the time of the day. But we've got a king who genuinely cares, a king who can put our lives back together again, who offers amazing grace, who doesn't see us as we used to be or even as we are, but how we can be and who we can be. 
In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angels come. And as I, I watched that this morning, especially the scenes that Jason had behind the great I am, and I, I just tried to visualize myself as to what it would be to be a shepherd on that hillside, knowing that angelic message that you and I sang was coming from the angels of heaven. And then you look at that verse and when he says, do not be afraid, I, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for people who are perfect, doesn't it? I got some great news for all of you who got your act together. The Messiah is coming. I got some great news for all of you perfect people. The Messiah is coming. I hope you like him. I got great news for whom? Everybody. I've got great news for all people because every single one of us have a past and every single one of us have an issue in our lives. They either need to be freed from or have been freed from. Because we all have a story. You may not tell everyone. You may not tell everybody about it. You may not even have told your small group yet. But most of us in here have a story of some kind or the other. You see, the beauty of the Christmas story is right in the middle of this unbelievable story. We find our story. The story of the God of the universe who doesn't see us as we are or as we were, but as we can be through his grace. Maybe you're here this morning and your life didn't go as planned. Anybody like that? And you wonder, is there a way that I could get past my past and move forward? The answer is absolutely. Is there a way that I can get past my past and move forward? The answer, absolutely. You and I are not defined by what we do or what we did, but by what he did and how he sees us. If I were to ask all of you this morning or any of you this morning, who are you? Many of us would say what you do. And if you ask me the question, I'm a pastor, and, and in my case, they get intertwined, and I have found, and, and I have to be really careful with that, with my identity and what I do, but your identity isn't what you do or what you did. Your identity and my identity is found in the God of the universe who looks at you and I and said, you are a daughter of the king. You are a son of the king. You're not defined by what you did or what you used to do or even what you're dealing with right now. You and I are daughters and sons of the king of the universe who looks down in our lives and says, I love you so much that I gave my one and only son so that you don't have to carry your baggage with you anymore. You can be free. When we put our faith in Christ, we will forever be known not by what we did, but by who we are and known forever as sons and daughters of the king of the universe. This morning I ask you to take a risk, a big risk. In your bulletin is a, one of these. If you don't have one, there's some guys in the back going to come down in a minute. You can raise your hand and, and they should get you one. You don't have to put your name on it. If you do, that's awesome. But you don't have to put your name on it. But what I'd love for you to do this morning in a very practical way is to write down This is what I am. This is what I did. This is what I used to do. I, I, I don't know if I can put my name on here, but I'm really struggling with anger. I'm really struggling with jealousy. I, I'm really struggling with lying. I have been borderline struggling with being unfaithful to my mate. I got a past that you can't believe, and it haunts me. I bought the lies of the enemy. I thought I could go after all that stuff. And still to this day, I'm not satisfied deep in my soul. And I bought all the lies. And I don't want to be defined by that anymore. And I don't even want to listen to the lies. I need to just move forward with God. 
If you were to take a moment this morning and write it down, whatever it is, my name is, and you don't have to answer that part. And I'm really wrestling with this. I'm really struggling with this. I want to get, I want to let this go. I want to get this behind me. I want to just leave it at the foot of the cross. I'm tired of it defining me. I'm tired of it having its hold on me. I'm, I'm tired of carrying it around from church to church and relationship to relationship and small group to small group. And I just want to be free. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have the courage to write it down. Or maybe you just want to write down, you know what? I'm tired of pretending. Because everybody in here thinks I got my act together and I don't. They think I'm perfect and my kids are perfect and my husband's perfect and my family's perfect and I'm just tired of pretending. Got a great life, I really do, but I just need to be more honest. And so, and I want to be much more honest. I want to find a group of people, a small group, a life group, a accountability group where I can just be honest because I'm tired of pretending and I've not found freedom in that. What I would love for you to do is actually write that down, whatever the, the that may be that you want to let go of or you want to get rid of or you want to just give it away. And what I'd love for you to do, Dave and Pam are going to sing an incredible song, one that you've heard before, Hello, My Name Is. If you've ever listened to contemporary radio, you've heard that song. My name is Regret, and I'm sure we've met. They're going to sing a different version of that. And then what I'd love for you to do is actually get up out of your seat while they sing it, drop it in that manger, and then right beside it is a basket. And I would love for you to pick this one up and replace that one with this. I am a child of the one true king. And so that every time the enemy comes back at you or tries to lie to you about your past or your problem or any of those kind of things, you pull this out, you remind him of who you are. That I'm not defined by my past, I'm not defined by my problems. I am a child of the king. While they sing, get up. Because the, son of the, the God of the universe sent his son from the cradle to the cross so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins and all of our past. And if you want a visual reminder this morning of a way of doing that, I encourage you while they sing, get up where you are, put it in that manger, grab a new tag, and walk back to your seat. God, this is your moment, and so we lay it at your feet. And we ask you to have freedom to speak in unbelievable ways as we actively do something to start a new chapter in our journey with you in Jesus' name. Hello. 
I've been saved, I've been changed, I have been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. can't tell you how humbled I am to be your pastor. God, we thank you for your amazing grace. What a visual way of being able to say we just want to move on. Thank you for being so honest about your own story and the story of so many people in your word. 
May we find those places where we can be that honest as well and find freedom and grace. I thank you for the fact that it's offered to us in the cross of Calvary and we no longer have to be identified by any of our past. But we can find freedom and grace and forgiveness at the cross. And may that be an unbelievable moment in time, not just for a service, but a literal mile mark in our journey with you that we will forever from this moment on live changed. In Jesus' name I pray. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to do that. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, we're here to help you with that. If you need Christian counseling, two of the best I've ever seen, come here every single week. We'd love to make that available to you as well. Don't ever think there are no other opportunities and you can't move on with your life. It is available to you in Christ because you and I, my friends, are a child of the one true King. Walk in that freedom today. God bless you. Have a great day.